Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we'll be breaking down all 16 Week 2 matchups with a focus on providing you all with some actionable fantasy football takeaways. Hope everyone had a great time watching some live football, finally, but as Bill Belichick would probably say if he was, you know, a loser fantasy analyst like us, we're on the Week 2. So, pumped to have one of the sharper dudes in the industry on today's show, PFF's own Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, what's going on, man? Man, super stoked to be joining, and... uh yeah, I'm happy to be on to week, to two, week two with a few of my teams, but there's some I would like to just kind of wallow around like in the glory. Um, but yeah, I definitely have some teams where I'm like, yeah, we're moving on. You know, I, I knew everything we had thought we knew over the last seven months, months would get, you know, turned upside down in week one because it happens every year. But, you know, it's even though my mind knew that, it's like my body still wasn't ready for it. I just had this like bad feeling in the pit of my stomach on Sunday. I, you know, I'm sure everyone, we had some things work out and those feel good. But for some reason, you know, that that guy you faded that you shouldn't have or the person, you yeah. know, my A.J. Brown shares felt so good. Just, uh, you know, not the best feeling in the world. But you know what? We'll get through it. We'll move on to week two. All we can do now is uh, adjust and do what we can moving forward. So opening things up, Thursday night football, we got the Bengals at the Browns. Browns opened up as a seven and a half point favorite, but we're seeing that already creep down closer to six. Over under is down as well from 46 to 44. And I want to talk about Joe Burrow first because look, it was more bad than good overall, but I think we saw the flashes that kind of has everyone excited about what's to come potentially for Burrow as early as 2020. I mean, the upside and what we saw in that final drive, I think is what uh, it could eventually be on a you know, more consistent basis. Now we knew this spot was impossible in week one against you know Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram with that offensive line. They have in LA still being pretty shaky. So I'm not saying Miles Gary is going to be that much easier, but but this is a spot that I feel confident starting Burrow. You know, I, I have him ranked in my top 14 QBs going to week two. And a big reason why is that rushing upside that we talk so much about on this podcast during the offseason. I mean, eight carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. You know, again, the only rookie quarterback since 2010 to be rookie QB ones, Cam Newton, RG3, Andrew Luck, Kyler, Russ, and Dak. Like Burrow, they all average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Do not discount Joe Burrow moving forward, everyone. He's going to be legit. Dwayne, hit me with something on the Browns. Yeah, man, it, it definitely can't be any worse than it was for the Browns last last week. I mean, if you look at them, um, you know, from a standpoint of trailing, you know, they, they ran 67 plays, um, 65 of, or 62 of those, they were trailing. So they were just never really able to get this offense going. So Stefanski came here, you know, brought the new offensive line, added the tight ends. You know, you've got all you've got all these toys in the in the backfield with Nick Chubb. You've got Kareem Hunt, and the idea, right, was to come out and use play action. You know, really, actually, just kind of do what the Ravens do, right? Put people in a really, you know, in a huge bind with the run game and the pass game, and they just couldn't get any of it going. And Baker Mayfield was just a major problem. So I think this week, though, provides an opportunity to rebound. I mean, you're going to play against the Bengals. It's a much easier matchup than playing against the Ravens. A, their offense is probably going to it's going to struggle. You're not going to be behind. You know, playing against one of the elite offenses and then the defense as well didn't play bad last week um you know i don't know how much of that was tyrod taylor versus the Bengals defense being good <laughs> um but they they showed a little bit you know in the secondary as well um but this week is definitely an improvement you know for the browns you know because you're not having to play against marlon humphrey you're not having to play you know against just a completely stacked secondary so the thing i'm looking at you know is I think that, you know, what was surprising for me, Ian, is that, you know, in the best game script possibly ever for a guy like Kareem Hunt, um, he still didn't put up a ton of fantasy points. And that kind of worries me, you know. So, I mean, he does have a clear role, you know, in the two-minute offense, 100% of the snaps, third and fourth down. 
uh, and long 75% of the snaps. But he didn't line up at receiver like everybody thought, only four snaps. And he didn't line up on the field with Chubb, only two snaps. So I'm going to be very interested to see what happens this week. If Cleveland can come out, the offensive line actually played well last week. I think you're going to see Chubb rebound. I think Chubb's going to have a really good week. And I'm going to be interested to see what happens to Kareem Hunt's role if Nick Chubb is going off, right? Because I think last week we saw the opposite. We know what happens to Nick Chubb if the game's really bad. Now, maybe Kareem Hunt will hold up, but I'm definitely not excited about playing him this week. And if I own Chubb, I'm definitely still getting him into you know all of my lineups. I'm, I'm not going to hesitate. Yeah, this was a backfield at the end of last season. They did use Hunt and Chubb simultaneously side by side to great success. I mean, Hunt was spending 31% of his snaps in the slot or out wide down to 11% in week one. It's, it's unfortunate, man. I thought that, you know, the lack of resources at wide receiver three and even kind of tight end two would lead them to lean on their best five, which includes Hunt. But so far, you know, again, it's, we'll see what happens there. All right, moving on. I'm not sure who the schedule maker was that decided to put Jaguars and Titans on Sunday and not Thursday, but come on. Like, that's just a letdown by all accounts. But, you know, we'll have it on Sunday, I guess. The Titans are 11-point favorites over under 43. Let me – this line can't be – accurate after what happened last night i know uh some of these lines have been moving around since they opened up i'm checking it right now um, uh, yeah, uh, it's down to nine. Okay, it is down to yeah, nine. Is. Eleven it's was nine. too much. Yeah, I just knew as soon as I said it. <laughs> All right. So at first, let's talk about the Jaguars' backfield because I wanted nothing to do with it. At uh, you know, once Leonard Fournette left, I think my exact words were the answer to which Jaguars running back to pick up now is no because it looked like an early down committee between Raquel Armstead, Davina Zigbo, and James Robinson. Well, Armstead's on the COVID list. Zigbo's on IR with the hamstring injury. So James Robinson, RB one season, everyone. The guy played. 66% of snaps, 16 carries, one target. Wasn't the most impressive performance, but he did have a hell of a run in the fourth quarter, which feature, featured a hurdle, kept his balance, broke a couple more tackles. Great play. I'm sure you'll see it 20 times on the internet this week as everyone talks up uh, Robinson. But you know what? To his credit, he was the featured early down guy, and Chris Thompson only had two targets. So, you know, we'll take this sort of usage all day, and I'm not saying someone else can't come in, but for the time being, I mean, you can definitely do worse in the flex spot than a guy getting 15 touches per game on a Jaguars offense. That looks like they're going to score a few more points than most gave him credit for. So, you know, it's one of those things where I was wrong the Jaguars' backfield at first, but based on what we saw in week one, I am more willing to treat James Robinson in that borderline RB2 discussion. Dwayne, tell me about the Titans. Yeah, man, I think the biggest thing with the Titans is really from an overall perspective, you know, they came out and ran 78 plays. And that's despite being within three points 90% of the game. So it's not like they were trailing and they were having to run, you know, a two-minute offense all the time. But they did run two-minute offense on 22% of the plays. They ran, you know, a no huddle um, on 28% of the plays, which was second most in the NFL or third most in the NFL yesterday. So I'm pretty excited. I mean, is, Ar is Arthur Smith taking another step forward from a standpoint of volume? Because if he does, that's good for, you know, who you were talking about earlier, A.J. Brown. It may not have been good, you know, week one. But I think, you know, what I originally thought, I didn't realize how many plays they had ran. And when I was watching the game, I was just thinking, oh, my gosh. And an offense is going to run the ball 50% of the time and only run like 55 or 60 plays. I was like, A.J. Brown is screwed. <laughs> and then, you know, this data came out and I was like, wow. Like, so there really could be, you know, some up-tempo potentially coming. The only other thing I would say, you know, about Tennessee, you know, I'm still going to, you know, from a standpoint, you know, with Corey Davis, I think, you know, he's a, he's a guy a lot of people are going to add, you know, on the waiver wire. And look, he's a former first-round pick. He looked pretty good last night. Jonu Smith looked good too. But he stays in the block a lot. Even though Jonu Smith was out 74% of the time into a, you know, he's out there for a snap 74% of the time. He only ran around 
58% of the time. So um, it really easily could be A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. And if there's enough volume here to support it, that's great. Um, you know, in Tannehill, man, the accuracy looked great. Like if you look at his receivers, the catchable rate for his uh, targets, I mean, it looks the opposite of Baker Mayfield, who we you know, <laughs> talked about a few minutes ago. So 88% for Corey Davis was catchable, 71% for A.J. Brown. So if you look at wide receivers, you know, over the last several years, I mean, to be open, you know, that often, you know, it's really not that it's not that normal. Typically, a receiver, you know, is open, you know, less than what you're seeing from these guys. So, for example, they were all open at least 50 percent or more. Corey Davis was 50 percent. You know, A.J. Brown was lower. He was at 29 percent, but he was getting extra. He was getting extra coverage coverage. But John U. Smith, 71 percent. So if you compare that like to the league history, you know, for people being open, a typical receiver, 42% of the time they're open. A tight end, 49% of the time they're open. So they're doing some really good things schematically. The, the game just didn't quite, everything just didn't quite click. I think we're going to, I think we're going to see some big games still to come from Tennessee. Good stuff, man. Yeah, we can use all that volume we can handle in Tennessee, obviously to elevate the guys, but also because I got to crunch these numbers, but I swear they lead, they lead the league in touchdowns to backup tight ends and like offensive linemen. <laughs> They're doing the most funky things ever at the goal line. And I can't even be like infuriated because it's always fun watching those big guys score. But yes, the more plays, the better. We'll be appreciating Tennessee for AJB, wide receiver one truthers like myself. All right, moving on. We got the Giants at the Bears. The Bears are coming in at five and a half point favorites over unders, a lowly 43. I want to talk about these Giants wide receivers for a second because, you know, Darius Slayton went off uh, week one. We know he has these uh, boom games in him, but you looked at his game log last year and him and uh, Daniel Jones alike, you know, they're really only having those big performances against more or less trash defenses. For him to do that against the Steelers, I think, shows the kind of upside he has entering year two. You know, we were talking all offseason about these Giants wide receivers and just, you know, attack them because they were all being priced as wide receiver threes and we knew someone could come up and be that wide receiver one. Well, it looks like Slayton for the time being, but I'm not ready to give up on Sterling Shepard just yet, particularly as long as Golden Tate uh, stays out. Because last year, when all three of these guys were together, Golden Tate was the one taking the majority of the slot reps. And if you just look at yards per route run in the slot versus outside, Sterling Shepard was the sixth most sensitive receiver in the league last year in terms of being much worse, you know, outside compared to in the slot. Some guys like Chris Goblin, you know, Adam Thielen, wherever they line up, they're going to dominate complete ballers. I'm not saying Sterling Shepard can't do some of that. It's a little bit of a small sample size, of course. Any NFL sample size is in a 16-game season. But I do think he is one of these guys that can really benefit from being on the inside. So if there's no Golden Tate uh, there this week, I'm going to ride with Shepard uh, in a bounce-back spot. They were talking about all training camp as the true number one wide receiver. I know Slayton got the big week one, but don't discount Sterling Shepard coming back in week two as long as Golden Tate stays, stays sidelined. So we'll see how that plays out, but keep an eye on that injury report. Uh, Dwayne, who you want to talk about on the Bears? Yeah, man, from the Bears, you know, the overarching, you know, thing is they, you know, their pace just isn't really great. And they're not, you know, somebody that's going to, they're not a team that's going to throw the ball a lot if they can avoid it. So, I mean, their neutral pace is only 54%. So they are showing their recipe, right? They'd rather go back to leaning on their defense. They want to use the run game. And that's really how they think they can win games. And I think a big part of that obviously ties, you know, to Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, we've got some news today. I mean, Allen Robinson, you know, there was the news that he was, requesting a trade well then that comes back no he didn't really request a trade but the bottom line is we know that you know where there's smoke there's fire there's an issue here robinson wants to get paid 
And so I think the thing that people have to be looking at, especially if you're in a shallow league and you're looking at the waiver wire, Anthony Miller's really the next guy up. If you look at what they did last week, it wasn't great. You know, they really rotated guys, you know, outside of Robinson. Robinson ran around on 90% of the plays, but Ted Ginn was at 40%. Anthony Miller was at 55%. Javon Wims at 33%. Darnell Mooney had 30%. And <laughs> so, and, and your boy, I can't forget your boy. I can never be on your pod and not talk about Corderell Patterson. Well, he he's, a, he's a running back. He's a running back, so I don't blame him for, you know, not mentioning <laughs> with the wide receivers. Exactly, exactly. So it was a little bit of a mix, but if, if you want to talk about who, you know, Trubisky looks for, it was still clearly Anthony Miller was second. So he had 18% of the targets. Um, you know, if you look at him, you know, inside the end zone, he had one, which was 20% yesterday. The Bears, amazingly, man, had like, you know, six targets or five targets in the end zone yesterday. And a, a Jimmy Graham reappearance. I'm definitely not buying on Jimmy Graham. You know, still looks super slow. Maybe he'll score a touchdown. I'm willing to be wrong on that one. It's not a guy that I'm going to go pick up. Um, but I think Anthony Miller, if you're in a shallower league, he's your definite pickup. Um, even if Allen Robinson's, you know, in play and he doesn't get traded or anything, I think Miller's just the guy that's going to show that he needs to be on the field more. He did it at the end of the year last year, and now he's doing it again at the beginning of the year uh, you know, this season. So he's the guy that I would put my chip down on. Um, I'll say just real quickly, David Montgomery, um, you know, played 45% of the snaps, 46% to treat Cohen. But the more telling thing is they showed us what they're going to do. Two minute drill, 100% treat Cohen. It's what you would expect, you know, third and fourth down and long, 38% treat Cohen, but David Montgomery got out there 50%. So on typical downs where they're not, you know, in a two-minute offense and they're in third and long, Montgomery could still be out there. That's going to give you a little bit of value from a standpoint of receptions. Um, and in games where the Bears can keep things tight and they're not trailing, um, I think Montgomery, as he gets healthier, right, he could be 65% of the attempts and he could still get you 10 to 12%, you know, of the targets. I don't think he's ever going to be a huge threat for a lot of touchdowns, but he's definitely going to have his games where he'll score two. So he's definitely a buy low candidate. You know, you don't want to go overspend on him, but I have no problem, you know, looking at him over the next three to four weeks, especially with some of the other things that have happened at running back. If he could even get just three, four sometimes targets per game, we're talking about a poor man's three down RB at this point. I love him this week as a tournament pivot off of Jonathan Taylor. He's going to be chalky as all hell. Almost a touchdown favorite at home against the Giants. I mean, if that's not going to be the spot to target Dave Montgomery, what is? All right, moving on. Falcons at the Cowboys. Cowboys opened as seven-point favorites, but people are not having that all the way down to four uh, on some books. Over-unders at 50, up to 52. So we're expecting a shootout and the Falcons to keep it a little bit closer. And why not after that week one performance? I mean, okay, you call it garbage time. I call it fancy goodness because Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are one and two. Okay, Julio's one, Ridley's two, but... Top two in air yards in the entire league after one week. Absolutely unbelievable. The 2019 Chris Goblin, 2020 Calvin Ridley comparisons are looking fantastic through 60 minutes. Julio's going to Julio. I mean, we kind of knew that was coming. But interesting guy that was also popping up on the box score, Mr. Russell Gage. And he was one of these guys where I never quite had the courage, I guess, to tweet out during the offseason, which is amazing because I tend to tweet about freaking everyone. So it's amazing I never got to Russell Gage. But he had a nice stretch last season after Sanu was traded. I mean, you look at these targets targets to end last season 9 5 4 10 9 4 6 6 13 I mean consistent usage and okay he's not really good he's not Julio good but you look in this offense all they brought in over the offseason was Trebwell who they then cut we have Hayden Hurst who's you know kind of I think he'll be more involved in future weeks but it's a very shallow offense and you know God forbid Ridley or Julio does miss time all of a sudden Gage is really looking like an auto start so not many offenses can enable three fantasy relevant guys I'm not saying Gage is going to be all that 
consistent, but you know, 12 targets over hundred yards week one. I wouldn't ignore it, particularly on an offense that is apparently going to throw the ball around as much as these guys. So not the worst guy to have on your bench in case you need a start at the end of the day. Another high powered offense on the other side of the field though. Dwayne, tell me about the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, Zeke's going to thrash the Falcons, but I don't think that's going to be news to anybody. I mean, and if anybody was worried about Tony Pollard, like actually being a thing, which I did see some on Twitter, um, you know, he was on the field for 92% of the rushing attempts, uh, 95% of the two minute work, 86% of third and fourth uh, and long, you know, 100% of the carries inside the five. He's getting every high leverage, every high leverage touch. There's, there's, nothing that you're going to lose from Zeke to Tony Pollard this year if you were worried about that. But the big thing is absolutely C.D. Lamb, man. 83% of Dallas' snaps were in 11 personnel. I talked about it this offseason. I think they're one of the lead candidates you know, to lead the league in snaps in 11 personnel this year. And now you've got Blake Jarwin injured. So there's just going to be more and more targets funneled to C.D. Lamb. And I think you already saw it. You know, Gallup's going to face some of the tougher coverage whenever Amari's not being shadowed. So on the plays where Amari didn't have Ramsey on him, it was Gallup because Lamb's protected on the inside so lamb ran a route on 89 percent you know of, of dax dropbacks um had 20 percent of the targets and he's a guy that we know has run after the catchability he has that big play pop that can happen at any moment he's also going to be utilized more inside of the red zone so cd lamb is a guy that you know i'm just going to continue you know to stick with even in some of my more like medium-sized formats def- definitely in my deeper leagues where you got to start two flexes things like that i'm not going to hesitate to get him in the lineup the one other thing i like which is always good great um, if you have a receiver with the kind of talent he does is 43 percent you know of the time he was in a route primary coverage was via linebacker or safety Ooh. which is just a complete mismatch that's a hot stat right there man hell yeah all right broncos at steelers steelers started off five and a half point favorites we're up to seven and a half in some books over unders sitting a little lower 43 in that range no philip Lindsay uh dealing with turf toe well maybe he eats ekes it out but not looking all that great at the moment i think people need the caution expectations on melvin gordon i don't know if they're really high ones out there but i think royce freeman is going to take every single snap that philip Lindsay was otherwise going to play he's a good backup i'm honestly kind of surprised no one like philly or you know miami or i guess miami has jordan howard but one of these teams i wanted early down back probably could have gotten royce freeman for a pretty low round draft pick and it would have been warranted because the guy isn't bad but it's just a road spot against the steelers defense that very well might be the single best unit in the entire league i mean holding saquon to a negative 0.7 yards before contact per rush i know it's the giants but that's pretty tough to do against anyone so i get it in season long you're not going to sit gordon but you know he's got that cheap dfs tag because salaries were released before Lindsay got injured and it just feels like a trap to me man there's gonna be there's a lot of cheap options this week i don't think gordon is the one to go after all right Dwayne, hit me with the steelers No, I can totally see that. I mean, and they were already getting Freeman involved last night. Actually, when they got down, you know, right there, like at the one yard line, I have two teams with Melvin Gordon. One's a <laughs> dynasty league and one's another league, you know, where I drafted him and he fell to me in like the fifth round. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me because Freeman came in. Now, luckily, Freeman didn't get in. Gordon came in the next play, got to score the touchdown. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Freeman is a back, you know, that I think is going to clearly be involved. Maybe not quite as much as Lindsey, but I think to your point, it's going to be enough to be really irritating to Melvin Gordon owners yeah. who, 
who were probably wrong anyway. Actually, I'm not going to say probably. You were wrong if you thought Melvin Gordon was just getting all the volume. I mean, the, the coaching staff had been telling this, uh, you know, this all offseason, yeah. you know, that Lindsey was going to get his. From a Steelers standpoint, there's not a ton. You know, the thing I'll say is in, a, in the, in the you know, pass neutral situation, still 69%, you know, passing. So even though they ended up a little more balanced, you know, last night, and even people talked about the running game early, and I think part of that was really just to offset some of the pass rush because, you know, their offensive line's not what it was. You know, they were they were without to Castro for the game. So they ended up at 44% run, 56% pass. But I think you're still going to see more of like a 60-40, 65-40, you know, 35 in games where it's a shootout. That just may not be this weekend, even though Denver's, you know, you know, offense looked better. It could be more of a game, you know, like what we saw actually, you know, this last week. Now I expect Denver to obviously be much more of an obstacle from a standpoint, you know, of a defense versus, you know, the Giants. Um, the only other thing I would say is if you own Deontay Johnson and you were a little bit, you know, disappointed. I mean, he still, when you look at, you know, the stats beneath the surface, you know, he still did really good. Yesterday he was out there for 94% of the time that Ben was dropping back to pass, 32% of the targets, um, you know, so, and he's open. He was open on 70% of his targets. That's insane because he doesn't get to work. He wasn't working inside. He only worked against linebackers and safeties for 10% of his plays. So he's doing that against cornerbacks. Not to say the Giants' corners are great, but that's his thing. He's a separator, and he was open all day long. And defense are, defenses will start to key on Juju Smith-Schuster. So I think there's going to be some interesting days ahead for Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I haven't finalized my rankings yet, but I'm going to find a way to get Deontay in the top 30 moving forward because, you know, it was looking scary for a second last night. I think he dropped his first two passes. If it wasn't one before, he had a bad one. I was starting <laughs> one to get bounced off a helmet. I know, man. I was starting to get these like 2019 Dante Moncrief vibes. And then all of a sudden, Rossburg goes straight back to him after the drop. Deontay makes a nice catch. Rest of the game, he was balling out. So, you know, clearly we, we saw the rotation with Washington and Claypool. Deontay is, if not the number one, it's probably Juju number one, but he's definitely a high-end number two there for sure all right moving on to vikings at colts we have the colts as opened up two and a half point favorites up to minus three at some books over under at 46 moving up a little bit to 47 and a half adam thielen and wide receiver one tours off to a pretty grand start uh, six catches 110 yards two touchdowns a good portion of that at the expense of yair alexander who man i know we're talking about the vikings but is there another cornerback in the league that just makes one great play and then just gets roasted like more often than yair alexander if that dude can never put it together man he'll be great but anyway thielen you know he's not good he's not an easy uh, matchup for anyone out there particularly not a cold secondary that allowed gardner Minshew to complete 19 of 20 passes last week i mean xavier rhodes is out there not doing much of anything these days i don't know who on this team can really track Adam Thielen and if it is a game where we see the over-under moving up and becomes a shootout I think we're probably going to see another 100 plus yard performance with a trip or two to the end zone so you know we've had Adam Thielen on this podcast as the wide receiver six throughout the offseason it's looking pretty good right now and you know with Michael Thomas expecting to miss a couple weeks we are looking at Adam Thielen as a top five fantasy receiver get behind everyone the volumes there he did that last week only eight targets I mean there I know the Vikings are a run first offense but you know Eight targets could be on the low end of the spectrum when we look back at his game logs before too long. Uh, Dwayne, what are you liking from the Colts? Yeah, what I like with the Colts is Jacoby Brissett is no longer the quarterback. Hey, he, <laughs> he, he got such, a goal line rep, though. Do you see that? He, 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 he did. <laughs> 
Um, but Brissett was a guy that literally they just wanted to drive the bus with. So he just brought down, you know, he brought down the pace, he brought down the over volume, you know, it just really was a killer for fantasy teams. Now Rivers didn't have a great game by NFL standards, but if you're a fantasy player, you love Phillip Rivers because they dropped back to pass in neutral scenarios 64% of the time. That was not happening last year. It was closer to like 55%. So he's the tide that's going to lift, you know, all of the boats here. And I think, you know, the guy that I get the most excited about and, you, you know, we all have our guys, right, that we probably touted the most, but Paris Campbell is one that I was on all off season. So, you know, to see him come out there and he was on the field for 81% of the routes, um, 56% of those against linebackers and safeties, despite not always getting the lineup inside. So they're moving him around, they're motioning him, and he's just, he operates in the sweet spot, man, where, you know, really Phillip Rivers is at his best and he's a mismatch. You know, he's just got a lot of speed. He seems to really be, you know, learning the game more because let's remember, he's still a young player. You know, he showed up as a guy that really didn't have to do a lot, you know, at Ohio State. Basically, you know, he was an athlete and so he's still learning the position. Um, and I think, you know, there's just a really high upside. In fact, you know, Ian, like, would it really surprise you if we looked up at the end of the year and he actually outscored, you know, his teammate pair, I mean, T.Y. Hilton, like for me, it wouldn't. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like I think it's in the range of outcomes. So, I mean, if you look at him, you know, 20% of the targets, he was tied with Paris Campbell, um, you know, but he's out there plenty. You know, he's got a quarterback that wants to throw him the ball. The only other thing I'll say, you know, is Naheem Hines. <laughs> I, I, he's a guy I didn't buy into, but, you know, the, the, the easy narrative was, well, Phillip Rivers is here. He's going to throw the ball 100 times to, you know, a running back. Well, you were right. Everybody that said that, that easy math actually really did add up. And I wish that I owned Naheem Hines more in season long. You know, maybe I'll figure out a way to use him in DFS this coming weekend. But uh, he's going to be a pain for Jonathan Taylor. You know, so if you own Jonathan Taylor, just remember Marlon Mack last year actually played really well. I'm not saying Taylor's not better, but he had the great offensive line as well. And if you look at him, he was the most polarizing fantasy player on a week-to-week basis based on the game script. So he had the least ability of any running back in the top 24, and it was all because they like to rotate two or three guys in. They'll bring in a guy in the passing game. So you're just going to have to deal with Naheem Hines. You know, hopefully Taylor can still get, you know, three to five targets a game. You know, he's obviously going to do what he needs to do on the ground, but if they get into these shootouts or they get behind, you know, it's going to be a real pain in the butt for Taylor owners. Yeah, I was about to say, I do think Taylor is going to win out and be more or less a borderline RB1 the rest of the way. But the things you really got to pay attention to are, one, as you mentioned, the okay, is he going to keep seeing three to five targets per game? Because if so, that's fantastic. And Hines can get whatever he wants. We'll both we'll take both those guys to the bank. But we got to make sure one of these Jordan Wilkins or Jonathan yeah. Williams or whoever, they can't be a three RB backfield because they love to do it. They did it with Marlon Mack at yeah. the end of last season. If it's just Taylor and Hines, that's great. We'll have, you know, Gordon Eckler all over again, but can't Taylor, have the third guy in there. With Taylor, he could get a few, right, more early targets, kind of like, you know, what Josh Jacobs did this weekend. But I will say two-minute, you know, offense, 100% of the snaps went to Naheem Hines. 100%. Third and fourth down and seven or longer, 83% went to Naheem Hines. So Taylor needs the game scripts to, t- to stay in intact to have a shot at those kind of targets each each week you know so if they get behind his targets are pretty much going to vanish you know and then you're just depending on can he get a touchdown because the attempts are going to be down as well and again love the player just saying look at your matchups especially before you use them in dfs and season long you're going to plug him in all the time look you drafted him in the third round play him you know you're just playing him but in dfs you know i'm definitely looking at the matchup each week seeing how good the other offense is 
Another uh, player that, you know, we definitely got to uh, distinguish between DFS thoughts and redraft thoughts, Christian McCaffrey. Moving on, the Panthers at the Buccaneers. Bucks opened up minus eight, up to minus nine, over-under, sitting at that 48.5, 49 range. So the thing with McCaffrey is he only had four targets in week one. All right, he scored two rushing touchdowns. He had, you know, 97% of the offensive snaps. He is going to be anyone's – he might be the number one running back in the entire league if he just gets that workload, even with only four targets per game. It's not out of the realm of imagination, but – I'm wondering with DraftKings now where we've had to look at this for, you know, the last eight, 10 regular season weeks where McCaffrey is priced usually more than a thousand dollars, more than the next closest RB. I'm wondering if that's finally too expensive because four targets, man, we can't have that because this dude has been outscoring, you know, every other running back by seemingly, I think it was six points last season on the entire year, like absolute madness. And a part of that is just the fantasy football cheat code that receptions are for running back. So if he's not getting these just outrageous targets, Targets, it's going to be a serious problem. He's not going to score two rushing touchdowns every week. And if he's still getting 20, 25 touches, whether it be carries uh, have more heavily weighted towards carries than last year, that's fine. Again, you're never moving him out of the RB1 spot in season long. But I do just wonder, you know, especially this week, like why would anyone pay up 10K for McCaffrey when you have Zeke sitting there at 8,200, you know, who's going to get maybe more targets and these exact same amount of run game volume in a better offense and a better matchup. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm probably digging my own grave here. McCaffrey's going to go out and have 12 targets a, a week moving forward. But just pay attention to this because it was, you know, DJ Moore had nine targets. He's he's still the wide receiver one. He had the air yards. He had end zone targets. Don't fret about him, you know, not being uh, quite as big in the lead. But Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel had a, you know, I, McCaffrey's going to have bigger days in this. But if he's not getting the 10, 15 target weeks as often as, as, he, as he was last year, uh, might not be quite as worth paying up for in the future. Dwayne, what do you got to say about TB12 in the game? Yeah, man. What I'm going to say is that all the talk about 12 personnel being their base set, no, it's not. <laughs> 25% of the plays were out of 12, and that's despite having a gimpy Mike Evans, right? You know, so um, now they did trail 78% of the plays, so that's obviously going to, you know, push you to want to get players like Scotty Miller into the game, you know, you, who actually looked really good, by the way, you know, because you need some speed, you need to be able to stretch the vertical, you know, side of the field, especially if Evans can't, you know, truly get out there and run, or he's just fighting with, you know, Marshawn Lattimore the whole time. Um, so from a standpoint, you know, of the Bucks overall, you know, the team, you know, looks like a team that hasn't got to practice, that has a new quarterback that's running, you know, a scheme that he's not used to. And I know everybody's like just, you know, jumping all over Brady. Um, but I mean, it doesn't surprise me, right, that you come out and you have a week like this. So if you drafted Godwin and Evans and all those guys high, I'm not trying to sell low, you know, if you've got people coming to you about them for trades. You know, I'm hanging on unless I can get something I really like. You know, and Brady's a guy if people just start dumping him, you know, and I'm in a league where I can carry an extra quarterback and I've got, you know, somebody on my bench that I don't really like, I'm going to pick up Brady immediately. Um, I think he's going to, he's still going to bounce back. You know, it might take another two or three weeks. You know, if you look at him, you know, from a perspective of, you know, this week he does get the better matchup, you know, with Carolina. So we could see a pretty quick rebound here. Um, my only other thing I'm going to really talk about here is, you know, Ronald Jones. I know he did look good, so I'm not going to, you know, say that he didn't. Um, but many of the things that we saw before, even though he got 71% of the rushing attempts, they still don't trust him on third and fourth downs and seven and over seven yards, zero snaps for Ronald Jones. They gave it all to dust. I mean, LaShawn McCoy. So, <laughs> It, it just shows you, and if you look at the carries inside the five, he only got 50%, you know, of those. 
So that's good because that's what you need. You need him to get the carries inside the five if otherwise, you know, you know, he's not going to have a role in the passing game. He's the opposite, right, of Christian McCaffrey, who has the cheat code of receptions. They do not like him in the passing game. So I, I keep hearing people say they do, and, oh, his trainer said this, his trainer said that. It doesn't matter. They see him in practice every day, and they think he sucks at pass receiving. So people can just get over it. He did look good in the run game. So I think, you know, in better matchups, you know, the Saints are tough, man. So he did run well. So I, I see some upside for touchdowns there. But – we also heard from Arians this week that Fournette's only going to get more involved, so you're just going to have to continue to monitor it. Okay, you are right all around. I will say, take it easy on the shady slander. In these parts, we still appreciate the swag he's carried over the better part of the last decade. But, no, I do think you're right in everything you said about that backfield and general situation. Tom Brady deep balls looked absolutely fantastic. I yeah. know they weren't uh, brought down, but, you know, a couple of defensive pass interference penalties where, you know, again, in a Panthers matchup, we could see those uh, brought down in some serious yardage. I'm going to be going back to well with that heavily in DFS this week. All right, Bills at Dolphins. We have fantasies QB1 Josh Allen with a – up to five and a half point favorite open to three and a half over unders down from 43 to 42 but yes the haters said he would never throw for over 300 yards in a game and josh allen has accomplished just that i love it i only have him ranked behind lamar jackson and patrick mahomes this week and look he's just one of the most fantasy friendly quarterbacks in the league shows reckless abandon and chucking it downfield now that he's got digs there he might actually be a little more accurate i mean oh you know we're, we're playing just dangerously small sample size season i get it everyone but three or four passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield were completed and you know if you look a little deeper at his numbers last year and you only kind of looked at john brown and dawson knox deep balls he was much more efficient throwing to those guys than the rest of the crew so adding you know one of the league's best field stretchers like stefan Diggs, even though he was doing more short intermediate stuff in week one you know makes sense that josh would improve but yeah everyone you know i'm sure you're starting i hope you're starting josh allen already but if there's any debate this week you need to ring him up against the dolphins four career matchups he's finished these weeks as the overall qb2 qb1 qb7 and qb1 again josh allen owns the miami dolphins he owns fantasy football in general i can't wait to keep going back to this well Dwayne, what do you got to say about the dolphins well, I love where I own Josh Allen, but yeah, then I'll move on to the Dolphins. And thank God I didn't. I don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick anywhere because the wrong Ryan Fitzpatrick showed up, right? And we all know that it can happen. Um, but if you look at the Dolphins, what's kind of worrisome, you know, even though they trailed on eighty-three percent of the plays, they still they didn't they never really showed tempo. They never really tried to get crazy with it, even though they went to their two-minute offense because they had to. Um, that the offense just doesn't look very good. They only ran play action on 15% of plays. Part of that is trailing, but as Josh Hermsmeyer will tell you, it doesn't matter if you're losing. If you do play action, people will still always respect it. It's like it's a cheat code. So they've got to do some things there. So Chan Gailey's not off to a real hot start. You know, and if you look at, you know, what Fitzpatrick did yesterday, you know, you heard me talk about Tannehill earlier in the in the pinpoint accuracy that he was showing. It's kind of funny because that's the former Dolphins quarterback. Um, it was the exact opposite, you know, when you look at, you know, what was going on with Fitzpatrick, um, you know, catchable targets just weren't, they weren't good, you know, period. And if you look at Preston Williams, who was really the receiver that was on the field the most and probably the guy that we have the most to hope for, only 33% of his targets were catchable. So he's really struggling. Now, Williams did draw, you know, a tough matchup because once Parker was out of the game, I haven't looked, you may have, Ian, but I know we probably saw some more Stefan Gilmore as soon as yeah. that happened. And, and that can bring your catch rate down because you're going to see more contested. Um, and to be fair, you know, Williams also wasn't open. He was only open on 33% of his targets, you know, where he was targeted. So, um, you know, I don't know, Miles Gaskin. 
I guess. Miles Gaskin, anybody? <laughs> He's evidently like the all-round back there. Jordan Howard is just the banger. You know, Howard got everything inside the five. You know, he got three snaps inside the five, three attempts inside the five. But Matt Breida, man, I don't know where Matt Breida was. You know, for I'm, thank God, for whatever reason, I just kind of got off Breida. Even though early on in the season, I'm like, this guy could catch a lot of balls and do this and that. As draft season went, I just never took him. You know, he's a guy sitting in your tier, and you're just like, eh, I'll, I'll wait till next round. You just basically keep waiting until somebody else takes him. So, um, yeah, not a lot of guys to be real excited about here, you know, Ian. But what I will say is Preston Williams, probably going to get force fed, you know, and if you look at, you know, what Miami can do this weekend, it's not going to be much better than last weekend. Now they get Buffalo. So it's going to be a tough matchup from a defensive standpoint. They are saying they're going to stick with Fitzpatrick another week, which is good for the outside receivers. Um, but I don't know how long they're going to be able to wait, you know, for Tua if, if this is what Fitzpatrick keeps putting out there. Yeah, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to scoop up Preston Williams. Maybe Jasicki is available on the wave wire. Not for this week, but they do get a nice matchup next Thursday against the Jaguars. That's when maybe we can start talking about the Miles Gassons of the world. But this week, hell no. Yeah. Do not yeah. play these Gusecki guys. Jasicki got the lone end zone target on the team. Okay. Oh <laughs> so he, he's, he's batting a 1,000. One end zone target. That's <laughs> great to hear. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> All right, 49ers at Jets. 49ers are seven-point favorites over under is 43 and a half. Almost surprised that line isn't a little bit higher. I mean, look, 49ers, you know, credit to the Cardinals. They played a good game. They were able to uh, get a win. And, you know, I think we're going to see better days from this 49ers offense, though. And I know they're banged up as all hell right now with Debo and Brandon Ayuk out. But, you know, this run game, particularly Raheem Moster, and I guess also in the receiving game, look at that. He is so explosive, man. I mean, I believe it was next-gen stats fastest play since like 2016 or so I might be wrong on that but either way Raheem Mostert he clocked some extraordinary uh MPH on his 75 yard touchdown catch career high five targets to go along with 15 carries Jared McKinnon shaved off 30% of snaps three carries and five targets but man when I when I was kind of projecting this backfield to me it was gonna be Mostert and Coleman more or less splitting early down work. McKinnon's going to steal all that pass down work. The fact that Mostert got just as much pass down work than McKinnon and did as much as he did with it, I think is great news for his rest of the season outlook and potential to stay involved in the passing game. I'm guessing Tevin Coleman's going to be more involved in future weeks where he doesn't have, you know, this uncertainty with his sickle cell thing going on with the wildfire. But, you know, 10% snaps, four carries, two targets. However you want to shape it, he was the clear backup guy, and they must have felt okay enough to put him out there and make him active to begin with so you know to see Mostert get that 61% snaps that was not the case really for all of last season I mean he he only got that in the Super Bowl finally after he you know ran all over the Packers but if he can get that he's going to be a top uh, you know 20 back more weeks than not regardless of the opponent Dwayne man I'm not trying to saddle you here with just the worst offenses to I'll... talk about but you got anything <laughs> to say about the Jets man before I said I, I automatically so if you guys that don't know Ian hit me up he's like hey you take the home team Teams. I'll take the visiting teams. Well, I didn't look at the schedule first. I didn't know I got the Dolphins <laughs> I got you, and the man. Jets. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I nearly protested. Uh, a quick note, real quick on Mostert. Just so folks know, um, on McKinnon, what was interesting is he played 100% of the third and fourth down and seven plus yards. So basically third and fourth and long. So true passing downs. 
100% of those went to McKinnon, uh, and Raheem Mostert was not out there. Now, now Mostert did get all of the attempts and snaps inside the five-yard line, so that's clearly, you know, who he is. But he could be very similar, you know, to say, you know, a guy we talked about earlier, like Jonathan Taylor, where you need yeah. the right script. Now, the good news here is you have a really good defense that can give you that correct script. So he can continue to get looks, you know, on the early downs. And, man, they're just looking for playmakers right now. Yeah. And he did look really good, you know, on the play that you talked about where he turned on the Jets. Um, so McKinnon is very involved, though. And like you said, I don't know what will happen with Tevin Coleman. As far mm-hmm. as the Jets go, um, man, I, I don't have a ton to say, you know, other than the fact that Brashad Perriman and, and, you know, the phantom knee issue that we don't know, you know, what's going on with it. But sometimes it swells up, sometimes it doesn't. He played 100% of the snaps. So, I mean, I guess that's you know, a positive um, Crowder showed you what he can do after the catch, you know, whenever two defenders run into each other, you know, trying to <laughs> tackle him. Um, dude, dude nearly got caught. <laughs> I thought he was going to get caught about three yards away. Um, but Crowder, you know, 38% of the targets, man, it, he's what you thought he was. He's going to give you a great floor every week. You're not going to be inside the 10 yard line or inside the five yard line a lot with this offense, especially not this weekend with the 49ers. I'm fading every single part of the Jets offense. I want nothing to do with it. Even Crowder, if I can get away from it, um, the positive thing with Crowder this weekend, if you have to use him, is you know the 49ers are not a team that's going to come out and run a lot of man coverage. They'll run zone, so they're going to let him do his thing. He's going to get, he'll be open. I just don't see him being able to do much, you know, after he makes the catch. You know, they've got a really good group of linebackers, strong safety play, and if he happens to be outside, well, they've got pretty good cornerbacks, you know, as well. Chris Herndon Hive, stay calm. This might not be the week, but second on the team in targets, we'll be okay. We'll be okay, Jordan. Yeah. Hey, the only thing with Herndon that's holding him back, honestly, you know, is he's having to stay in and block because their offensive line's terrible. So he played 72% of the snaps, but he only got to run a route 56% of the time because they, you know, have a turnstile, you know, at right tackle um, that can't block anybody. He's such an all-around tight end, man. It's just, it's just cross the bear. Just real, real, real world problems, man. Sucks. <laughs> All right, Rams at Eagles. Eagles opened up three and a half point favorites, but that is down two minus one uh, over under 48s down to 46. Makes sense based on what we saw. But I want to talk about the confirmation we pretty much had that Robert Woods is this team's number one wide receiver ahead of Cooper Cup, and it's been going on really since the Rams' Week Nine bye in 2019 when they stopped running as much through wide receiver personnel and really got down and the more two tight end sense getting guys like Johnny Munt involved and you know really starting to feature Robert Woods and it's just been extreme I mean Woods missed a game during the stretch but in eight games since that week nine by Woods has 87 targets 58 catches 768 yards two scores another six carries 58 yards in that same stretch Cooper Cups in nine games only 52 targets 40 catches 409 yards he's got the five touchdowns but nothing rushing i mean if anyone's still out there ranking cooper cup ahead of robert woods i mean just how and why because we have nothing but evidence that woods is a target hog woods is getting the rush attempts i know the touchdowns haven't been there but it's not like cup is just getting overly featured uh to you know a maddening extent ahead of uh woods if anything higby i think is the bigger threat for that so you know robert woods season guys he is a you know borderline wide receiver one regardless of the matchup I am looking forward to continuing to fire him up as such the rest of the season. Dwayne, thoughts on Carson Wentz and the Eagles after a pretty disappointing week one. Yeah, man. Um, Quick thing here on the Rams while we're there. If you can get Cooper Cup cheap, I would. Um, The one thing I'll say with Cup that I was worried about most was last year when they went to 12 personnel, he wasn't on the field like at all. Like he was a phantom. 
This year in that first game, even though you couldn't always tell from the way the TV angle, which I hate, it's like too much time spent on coaches. I'm like, man, just show me the all 22, like for the game. Um, so I can see what's going on. You know how it goes. Um, but whenever I'm sitting there watching the game, I couldn't really tell, but I went in at halftime and started looking. And then now I looked at it, you know, later this afternoon at the end of the game, you know, he's out there for 85%, you know, of the dropbacks by, you know, um, Jared Goff. So 88% or sorry, 88% versus 85% for Robert Woods. The other thing he was out there for over 60% of the plays out of 12 personnel where last year, like I said, that was almost like, that was like 10 or 15%. So they're getting him on the field and all the formations. So Cup is a definite buy low, and I love him in DFS this weekend. Um, I haven't even checked the pricing, but everybody's going to be off of him. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a definite bounce-back candidate, and if you can buy him low in your leagues, I would. As far as the Eagles go, um, man, the Redskins front four just trashed their offensive line, which we know is hurt and took another injury during the game. You know, Lane Johnson came out and couldn't go through warm up, so they had to make him inactive. You know, and then the guy, I can't even remember his name now, Ian, you may know, but, uh, you know, he comes out there and he gets hurt during the game. So, and they already lost Brandon Brooks earlier in the offseason. You know, you already lost, um, you know, your other tackle, Dillard, and you've had to move Jason, you know, Peters outside. So, you know, you can't hardly blame them. You know, they've had a ton of bad luck, you know, when it comes to this. So the only thing I would say about the Eagles, you know, as far as, uh, you know, who you could potentially play, you know, this weekend, um, the word is Deshaun Jackson is going to continue to get, you know, more snaps. Um, targets 15% last week, you know, for him. Greg Ward had 17%. Ertz had 17%. Goddard had 22%. Now, the Eagles did stay true to form um, as far as their 12 personnel goes. Um, they ran um, 12 personnel on, it was like over 52% of the snaps. Um, I don't have it up right in front of me right now, but it was over 50% of the snaps. So that is still their base formation. They're trying to get both tight ends on the field as much as they, as much as they can. And so it looks like Goddard will actually be safe. I didn't know for sure with the receivers they've added, you know, would we still truly see 50, 60% of the snaps be out of 12 personnel? But I mean, just remember that that still can be, you know, problematic. Dallas Goddard only ran a route on 62% of the time that the team dropped back to pass. So that's not a very healthy number. Typically, you know, somebody in that range, unless your name is Mark Andrews, which maybe he's Mark <laughs> Andrews. If your name's Mark, not Mark Andrews, though, if you're running, you know, a route in that percentage, you know, in that range, you're typically not a tight end one. So I would give it a look another week, but I got to say, Goddard looked really good, you know, on the deep ball. Um, and this team, man, they're gearing up to pass. Like, they don't care if Carson Wentz is going to get sacked over and over. I mean, this is really, you know, um, Doug Peterson, you know, going back to, you know, those old Andy Reid days and just saying, you know what, we're just going to drop back. We're just going to throw the ball. I think we're going to, I mean, they should consider changing it, considering, you know, what's going on, but I don't know that they're going to. So, I mean, we could see a lot of pass attempts. As far as the receivers go, like I said, they rotated in and out. But apparently, we're going to see more Jackson, and I think you're also going to see more Jalen Rager. Yeah. So those are guys. If, those are guys that if they go onto the waiver wire this year or this week, and you're in a deeper league, I have no problem scooping them once somebody drops them. As soon as Game Pass gets that all 22 uploaded, the first play I'm pulling up is that Wentz bomb to Rager because he barely even stepped into that thing, and that just went. 50, 55 yards down the field, right to Rager in stride. Beautiful play. All right, Lions at Packers. Packers sitting here as six-point favorites, over under 46, up to 
47 and a half. So not, not a great uh, look in week one for the Lions. You know, no Kenny Galladay didn't help matters, but, you know, blowing that game the way they did uh, wasn't great. And just the offense as a whole didn't look all that good. I mean, you know, again, maybe this is just because they didn't have Galladay, because they had Quintez, Cephas, and Danny Amendola being two of their top three wide receivers. They didn't feel the need to push the ball downfield. But, I mean, Stafford in his first year at Dale Bovell last year, one of the reasons why he was so effective as a fantasy quarterback was because he was chucking the ball downfield to his heart's desire. I mean, league high, 19.2% deep ball rate, but you go to week one and just 9.5% of Stafford's passes were thrown at least 20 yards downfield. So, man, if Galladay is going to remain out, I'm a little worried going back to Stafford in this spot. I mean, road game not against a Packers defense that we know can pressure the quarterback, and even if their secondary doesn't always play up to, I think, their talent, uh, they do have the capability of making life pretty touch for him. So, you know, you look at his past matchups, and he has thrown multiple touchdowns in nine of his last ten games against the Packers, but I don't like this upside with Kenny Galladay out of the lineup. I will probably be fading uh, Stafford in favor of other quarterbacks and fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Dwayne, what do you guys say about pissed off Aaron Rodgers who started off his FU tour uh, pretty damn great? Yeah, I mean, so the Packers just continue to add, you know, pieces that say we just want to run the ball the whole time, and Aaron Rodgers just says, well, it's still my show. Um, <laughs> you know, so when the game was close, 63% of the time they were still dropping back to pass. So when I say close, that's within three points. So that's essentially a neutral script. Now they led 45%. So, you know, the 58% pass to 42% run is probably a little bit misleading. Um, you know, they're probably going to throw a little bit more whenever they're in games where they're not able to lead as much. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because we just didn't know what, you know, Aaron Rodgers really has outside of Devontae Adams. And really the correct answer is, well, it doesn't matter because he has Devontae Adams, um, and that's just who he's going to go to, who had 41% of the targets. I mean, that's insane. Um, was on the field for 98% of the routes. I mean, Lazard and Valdez-Scantling did get into the mix. 86% of the routes for Lazard, 66% of the routes for Valdez-Scantling, who did catch a nice bomb. They both caught touchdown passes. If you stacked Aaron Rodgers with these things last weekend— um, like I did, uh, you had a really good weekend and you were very happy about, you know, what your FanDuel or, you know, your DraftKings account looked like the next morning. Um, the only other thing I'll, you know, hit on here is Aaron Jones, man. Um, you know, for folks that were kind of closing their eyes and just hoping, you know, that Jamal Williams and that A.J. Dillon would go away, they're not. I mean, he was out there for 53% of the snaps. Jamal Williams was 41%. So whenever you look at the, you know, uh, you know, the splits from a standpoint of targets, he still got his 15% of the targets, but he only ran a route on 43%. Jamal Williams was targeted 10% of the time. So I just think it's going to be one of those deals where you need touchdowns out of Aaron Jones. Um, you know, and he still looks good, you know, when he's out there. They're prioritizing him in the passing game when he's out there. Um, inside the five, he's still the man. 71% of the snaps inside the five, 67%, you know, of the rushes inside the five. But when it comes to third down and long, third and fourth and long, he's not out there. Only 25%. Jamal Williams, 75%. Two-minute drill. 100% Jamal Williams, not Aaron Jones. So he's another one of these guys that, man, if the script goes sideways on you and, and they're not leading or it's not close, it could be really problematic to own Aaron Jones. So just be really careful with him in DFS. If you own him in season long, well, there's nothing really you can really do. You spend a second round pick on him. You're going to keep rolling with the guy, and he's still going to give you some huge weeks. So, I mean, he's an efficient player. He's always, a, he's always, always a threat to score two to three touchdowns in any week. You know, he could get one through the air, two on the ground. And so, like I said, they still like him inside the five. The offense looks pretty good. You just have to hope, like, Devontae Adams cannot 
be injured in any way because if he does, it's just going to totally, it's going to kill this offense. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Jones only had one game last season when Jamal Williams was healthy, where he actually hit that 60% threshold. The one good news for Aaron Jones uh, manager should be that AJ Dillon was just so not involved at all. At least it is still a two back committee, not a three back committee for the time being. So Aaron Jones. Yeah. I mean, if you have them, you're starting them and Hey, home spot against the lions. We could be talking about one of those multi touchdown games. All right. The Washington football team is at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we have the Cardinals as six and a half point favorites over under is 46 and a half. Both these squads have some impressive week one wins. I want to focus on the uh, Washington backfield because we had JD McKissick leading the way with 44% of the snaps. He did absolutely nothing. Peyton Barber converted 17 carries into 29 yards on his 41% snaps. Antonio Gibson, who looked like the best running back out there, 26% snaps, broke twice as many tackles as McKissick and Barber combined. I don't think it's a matter of if. I think it's a matter of when Gibson's going to take over this backfield. It's unfortunate it isn't happening right away. But, you know, I'm still going back to that Adrian Peterson quote to Josina Anderson when he left where he was saying, you know, they want it to be Gibson, beat his pony back, get the targets. You know, Ron Rivera and these guys, they aren't dumb. They saw what McKissick did, and it was nothing. So maybe Barber stays involved throughout the year annoyingly as this early down guy. But, you know, I think pretty quickly we're going to see Gibson almost engulf that entire McKissick role, and you're going to want him on the fantasy squad. So, you know, I people out there, you got injuries going on, but I cannot stress enough, do not drop Antonio Gibson yet just because of that bad week one usage. Best is definitely to come in an offense that is starving for playmakers outside Terry McLaurin. Dwayne, Cardinals look pretty damn good last week. Yeah, man, 100% agree with you on that. Do not drop. <laughs> Hold on to Antonio Gibson. You're right. It's just a matter of when. Yes. Um, so the Cardinals, man, if you want to score some fantasy points, one way to do it is run no huddle 55% of your plays. That'll get you some freaking volume. So the third most plays last week out of any team in the league, um, the Cardinals looked really good. Um, Kyler Murray's going to clearly be running, you know, and man, talk about a guy that doesn't take hits. Like that guy, like his sliding is better than like, you know, most quarterbacks running. So like, you know, he looks like he's going to be well insulated as long as he doesn't take like a blindside hit, which is pretty hard when you're like, you know, you have a rocket up your, you know what, like he does. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Cardinals, I'm just going to say, you know, the biggest thing here is volume, volume, volume. Don't be afraid of Kenyon Drake. Some people are, you know, well, he didn't score a lot of points. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't score a ton of points every week. You know, he did bail you out with a touchdown inside the five. You know, he had 69% of the snaps, um, 49% of the routes. Um, So he did give way to Chase Edmonds a little bit. And Edmonds, on three of his five looks, he was actually the first look, which is not normal for running backs. That's actually a really good tell that a running back is actually part of the design. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you look at McCaffrey's and Kamara's, they get first looks. Typically, running backs are a check down after a first or a second read don't go right. And so Edmonds, it did show that, that they're putting him on the field. He's going to get on the field and they want to get him the ball in the passing game. So that's really going to be his role. But it's not going to hurt Kenyon Drake when you have an offense that's running the volume like this. And 50% of the routes, by the way, is still borderline RB1 if you look at historical rates. You know, it's going to be fine. Um, the other good thing for Drake, you know, is he did have, uh, you know, the four-minute offense. Now, Edmonds did get the two-minute offense, but he has the inside the five carries. So Edmonds is going to see a little bit of work, but don't worry about Kenyon Drake. If you have him, you want to make sure you get him on the field um, and, you know, keep him, keep him in your lineup. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Austin Eckler a little bit last week. Like, okay, it wasn't the, you know, big production that we necessarily wanted, but it was nice to get at least one game of evidence that, hey, 
Kenan Drake and Austin Eckler, still the you know undisputed lead backs in their respective backfields. Uh, only thing I'll add with the Cardinals, it was pretty fun to see uh, DeAndre Hopkins' usage, and this is going to be a situation where we're going to get to see his yak ability, which I think has always been a little bit underrated, uh, really put on display because they fed him three screens uh, in the game yesterday, and if you just look uh, over the over his career, that's like, he's never gotten that chance. I mean, first four seasons of his career, he had six total screen targets that entire time. The last three years, he's had nine 12 and nine again he's on pace for 48 after week one now he's not gonna get 16 (laughs) targets every week i get it again having fun with small sample sizes here but clearly the cardinals are doing a good job getting him some of those easy targets i know some like myself had concerns whether hawkins is still kind of demand that 150 plus target role in arizona well it's looking pretty good after week one all right moving on we got ravens at texans uh the ravens were started at minus five they're up to minus six and a half i wouldn't yeah it's up to seven now so i wouldn't even be surprised to see that continue to rise over under is sitting at 52 and a half so i want to talk about this ravens backfield because i think a lot of people saw the dobbins two touchdowns and are you know maybe trending towards auto start territory moving on and you know just be cautious because i think it was actually more of a negative looking back at this than anything not that he scored but just the overall distribution i mean we'll focus on the first three quarters because things got kind of out of hand early in that one but you look at the snaps in the first three and dobbins led the way with 18 but mark ingram was right there at 16 and the most unfortunate part was gus edwards there with 11 snaps he's not going away he's been too efficient he's been really good in this offense he's a very solid real life player that's never going to give us fancy you know jokesters any sort of production but he's going to take it away from Dobbins and from Ingram so you know it's 1A 1B and maybe the league's highest scoring offense so these guys are going to score touchdowns there's worse guys to have out there in your flex spots but I'm just going to have a hard time you know ranking these guys inside the top 24 until we see some sort of certainty go out because it looks pretty hot hand right now with Lamar and Gus taking away all these carries and by the way not a single target for this entire backfield it's just like we need to hope for the best on almost like 10 to 12 carries per game and hey you know the Ravens like Lamar Jackson throwing three touchdowns on 25 attempts maybe just you know normal regression rules don't even apply to this offense and we're just looking at it the wrong way but I don't know man through one week I am not feeling all that great about you know early season potential for J.K. Dobbins all right Dwayne hit me with the Texans yeah man so just real quick on that People have to realize that that's just what the Ravens do. They rotate these guys. They rotate everyone. Yep. <laughs> you know, and they keep everybody fresh. So last year, season one, they blew out the Dolphins. Gus Edwards had 38% of the carries, 31% for Mark Ingram. What happens in the more competitive game the next week? Ingram, 39%. Gus Edwards, 9%. Lamar Jackson, you know, had like 40% that week. So expect to see it continue to be diced up. I'm with you. Very tough to trust these guys. So um, who am I on? <laughs> Who's the, who are the Ravens playing? I just totally lost Texans. my spot. Yeah, Texans. Good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as far as the Texans go, the only thing I'll, the only thing I'm going to say, you know, is a lot of folks were really worried, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, Brandon Cooks and what he did last week. And if you look at what, you know, even Randall Cobb did, again, kind of like the Tom Brady thing, you have two new pieces coming into the offense. Um, the good news is, you know, both of those players were out there. Cobb was in a route on 85% of the plays. Um, you had 10% of the targets, so he's going to be fine. Fuller, 
um, you know, was open on 45% of his targets, which is awesome considering, you know, how much, uh, you know, he saw as far as, you know, attention. But if you look at Cooks, you know, they just, they didn't really want to use him, man. They were protecting him. You know, they, they kept his snap count down. And as the game got out of hand, they just basically kept him off the field. So Cooks, as long as he doesn't have a setback with his quad, you know, I think here over the next few weeks, he's going to be a player that you can depend on more if he gets cut. I'm very willing to pick him up, except like in really shallow leagues. That's one I'm actually going to be watching for in all my high stakes leagues, just to see if somebody to go grab the flavor of the week, does Brandon Cooks get cut? And I'm going to be going, trying to swoop in and grab him, you know, next week. Hopefully he doesn't go off this weekend. Um, you know, so the other thing, um, the very last thing, sorry, Akins. So Akins is the clear tight end one. We haven't had that. We haven't had that, you know, with the Texans in like forever. And so he was out there for 80%, you know, of the routes. So if you need help at tight end and you, you know, maybe you got Austin Hooper and you're trying to figure out, okay, can I trust that again? You know, Akins is a guy that you may stash, you know, if you're only carrying one. I'd like to see it one more week. If you're in a super deep league, you know, I'm fine. If you got to throw him out there, you got to throw him out there. At least, you know, he's getting the playing time. The Ravens do have two very young linebackers that did not look very good in week one. Now, Behind them, they have really great safety play, obviously. Um, but, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, a potential mismatch on the field, that's the one place the Texans may be able to find it. Yeah, I mentioned this on the Monday night uh, waiver wire pod that went out this morning, but give me Jordan Akins over Logan Thomas. I mean, the concern with Akins was he was splitting everything with Fells. Now he's the number one. That's fantastic. Let's cash in on it. All right, Chiefs at Chargers. KC opened at six and a half. That's up to eight and a half. Wouldn't be shocked to see that flirt with double digits by the time we get to Sunday. Over-unders a little bit down from 50 and a half to 48 and a half. I just wonder if this is a Tyreek Hill just complete liftoff spot. I mean, we've got... Film evidence of him roasting both Casey Hayward and Chris Harris over the years. I mean, it's not anything against those guys. They're both great cornerbacks. But the point is, Tyreek can beat any cornerback in the league, and he has it done to these guys. And look, it's just been a minute, really, since we've seen Tyreek just go off. And okay, he had the 67 yards, two touchdowns to the AFC Championship. He got to 105 yards in the Super Bowl on a bunch of targets. But 10-game streak without 100-plus yards and a touchdown, that's his longest since his rookie year. I mean, even in the Alex Smith season, he didn't have you know any sort of dud streak like that. So he's almost been a little bit more of a boomer bust guy over this last season and a half without as many of the booms. I don't think it's a, you know, has anything to do with Tyreek. He demands more attention than any wide receiver throughout the entire league. So, you know, we've seen Travis Kelsey popping off for huge games because everyone's worried about Tyreek. So it's not, again, like we were talking about earlier with Antonio Gibson, not a matter of if Tyreek's going to blow up again. It's a matter of when. I think in this matchup, you know, as good as the Chargers D might be, even without Derwin James, I mean, I just don't think it matters when you're facing an offense as good as Mahomes and the Chiefs. So, you know, I'm going to have plenty of exposure to Tyreek and uh, DFS sites, all shapes and sizes this week. Do Wayne, what's up with, uh, you know, the artist formerly known as Ty God and the Chargers? I was going to say, you can't call him Ty God anymore. But Not you know anymore. what I'll say? The dude still throws a beautiful deep ball, uh, and that works for Mike Williams. Yep. <laughs> you know, I talked about this a little bit in the preseason, uh, you know, that, hey, this could be the deal for Williams, but he just was hurt. And what's funny is, man, how many hits did Williams take to his shoulder like right away in that game? Like took dude, huge he, hits, falling on it. He never braces it. his fall, too. The dude falls harder than any wide receiver I've seen in the league. Exactly. And, but he led the team, you know, 30% of the targets along with Hunter Henry, 26% to Keenan Allen. 
Obviously, the other component of that is the guy named Austin Eckler, 4% of the targets. So this was a potential narrative is that Tyrod does not like to check the ball down. He likes to keep his eyes downfield. He's also willing to run. So we're going to have to keep an eye on this. You know, the good news is kind of similar to the McCaffrey thing. You know, Eckler did get more work on the ground, but I don't know how much of that is really going to continue, Ian, because Josh Kelly just took off, man. You know, this is a guy that's had a lot of hype through the preseason, and I don't mean just hype from, like, fantasy analysts. Like, it's the drumbeat's been there. Everything the coaches have said about this guy from the time they drafted him until now, it's like he just keeps on doing the coach thing like Jason Garrett, stacking good days on good days. That's Josh Kelly, and he finally got his chance, you know, because you have Justin Jackson go down during the game, so they're not splitting anymore, and I think he just basically ripped that job away. I, we could see Josh Kelly in more of a Melvin Gordon role, and they could choose to move Austin Eckler into more of a, hey, all right, we're going to make you like you were last year, which I think we would all be fine with if you drafted Eckler. I'm like, fine, give me 35% of the carries, but give me that 15 to 20% of the targets. And Eckler's a guy that can work downfield you know, as well. He doesn't have to be – he's not a swing pass guy. He's a guy that you can design stuff for, you can get in the ball, and you can just get that drilled into Tyrod's head. So we'll have to keep a little bit of an eye on it. But Kelly's a guy that if he's on your waiver wire, he should be picked up. I'm, I'm going to – hold off one more week before starting him. Plus, you don't have a great matchup. They could fall down by a ton to Kansas City, and then it could just be, you know, it could literally be Austin Eckler on the field 100%, you know, of the snaps this weekend. But Mike Williams, man, a lot of people didn't draft him because he was hurt. I know I avoided him, even some really deep leagues. So there's probably leagues where he's on the waiver wire, and I don't think it's a flash. He could get hurt again. But, man, he's a perfect fit with Tyrod Taylor. It just frustrates me, man. We saw this last year where Eckler, even once Gordon was back, you know, was struggling to play 50% of the snaps uh, in games because they had to run Andre Patton out there for 80% of the snaps and give him like five targets all season. I mean, why does Austin Eckler only have six uh, snaps in the slot or out wide last week when something named Jalen Guyton is, you know, playing all game? So I don't get it, man, because, yeah, Kelly looks great, but – Eckler can be like he's gonna draw more attention from the defense by standing out there out wide than any of these other backup receivers they had. I mean, make them think about it. Get a little bit creative. I, I don't see why Kelly and Eckler, if Jackson's out of the picture, uh, can't both produce. But you know, not a good week one for Austin Eckler. But I do think we'll see uh, better performances uh, moving forward, at least to some extent, because you know he's not gonna have one target every week. We'll get yeah. we'll get over that hump. Uh, moving on, Sunday Night Football: Patriots at the Seahawks. Seahawks has opened up minus three up to four and a half now over and under up from 44 to 45 and look cam newton qb6 after one week 63 rushing yards on design runs joe burrow had 31 josh allen 27 russell wilson 27 lamar jackson 23 nobody else over 10 so we are truly seeing the patriots just embrace life with cam as their quarterback and why wouldn't they i mean they're the team that has built you know belichick his entire kind of career on just taking his offense doing whatever they do best against the defense whatever they do the weakest and this offense their best bet is to run the whole show through cam newton so that's what they're doing and i'm not saying he's gonna get 15 plus carries every single week but you know on weeks he doesn't have that i don't think he's gonna have fewer than 20 pass attempts either he looked great throwing the ball i mean 15 for 19 and had some drops out there ball velocity looked fantastic cam newton's healthy and it's his game and it's great I love it. You know, it's going to be a tough one against the Seahawks, but hey, man, Cam Newton's an every week top, you know, easily QB1. I think I have him ranked sixth or seventh this week, man. We got to get used to Cam Newton back in that top 10 and the fantasy range. Great time to be alive for Cam stands all around the globe. Uh, Dwayne, hit me with some Seahawks. Yeah, man, absolutely. Love the Cam stuff. Um, you know, and Belichick's 
maximizing him. As far as the Seahawks go, I mean, you if you're on Twitter, if you listen to anything, you've already been hearing it, right? It's been all over the TV, you know, yesterday, today, it's the let Russ cook. And yes, the team actually did finally let, you know, Russ cook a little bit. So if you look at the Seahawks this last week, even when the game was close, so past, you know, a neutral situation, 71% of the time they were throwing the ball. That's a really good, um, you know, sign for Russell Wilson. The bad news is it's still Schottenheimer and he still runs a really slow offense, only 58 plays. It's always one of the worst in the league as far as the volume of plays. So that's not changing, but it's still, hey, we'll take it. You know, you know, Russ is going to throw the ball more. They've been talking about it and it looks like it's actually happening. So from a standpoint of the players, you know, obviously that's just a boost, man. If uh, if Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are going to see eight to 10 targets each a game, we would have all been drafting them in the second and third round of fantasy drafts. And you were getting them in the fifth round in 12-man leagues quite often. There were a few times they'd sneak into the fourth. So you should be super happy right now if you are if you are a Tyler Lockett owner or a DK Metcalf owner. And they were already worth the pick where they were because of the efficiency they bring to the table. And now you're going to get more volume out of them. So if you own those guys, you just keep plugging them in. You know, if the, if the price stays down in DFS, again, I haven't checked it yet. I'm absolutely going to be rocking with these guys. Um, the backfield was a little bit of a split this last week, but Carson did get involved, you know, in the passing game that helped him out. Um, so I think he can continue to do a little bit of that. I don't expect as much as last week, but you know, when you have all these receivers going vertical and running everybody off and you're it, you're, I mean, you see what it can do for the efficiency. You can have some really big plays in the passing game. Um, even from the underneath perspective, even with a guy like Chris Carson, who we don't really think of as being this great receiver. Yeah. I mean, the fact DJ Dallas was, uh, you know, not even out there on the field, gave Carson that pass game role. So even though, you know, our kind of fears came true with Hyde playing almost that Rashad Penny uh, 1B role on the early downs, Carson had more enough receiving work to make up for it. Ultimately, if they let Russ cook, okay, you're not going to get the same amount of rush attempts, but the scoring and, you know, should be so much more through the roof that you would think that Carson can still provide uh, consistent RB2 value. Although, you know, I think his days, you know, being a legit RB1 option likely over. All right, final game here, everyone. St- thanks for sticking around with us. Saints at Raiders uh, Saints started at four and a half up to minus five and a half now over under sitting at 50 and a half. So the Saints got the win, you know, a win is a win is a win, but I'm a little concerned about their offense. And it's, it's also just a testament to the Tampa Bay defense, which is really good. I mean, Carlton Davis for him to shut down Michael Thomas in that manner. And, you know, they got all those beasts back on the defensive line. Kudos to them, but the Saints averaged 4.1 yards per play in week one. Only the Washington football team was worse. It's kind of hilarious that the two, you know, least efficient offenses were able to escape with a win in week one, but it just wasn't good, man. And only the Seahawks faced a higher percentage of plays with at least eight men in the box per rush attempt. And, you know, for the Seahawks, that makes sense. The Falcons probably figured that they just wouldn't pass. But for the Saints, it makes me think, okay, our defense is all of a sudden just daring Brees to throw downfield because I feel like that's what we've seen in these last two playoff exits i mean the vikings just you know sitting at the line hey we're gonna take away all the easy short stuff to thomas and kamara that you make your living on every year and try to throw the ball over the head so you know we've seen peyton start to kind of get uh you know just fidgety almost and dial up these trick plays with Taysom hill to try to put some pressure on the back end of the defense and i mean again you look at Bree's regular season stats over the last few years and he's as good as ever but i think we can all agree that the guy doesn't have quite the same deep ball these days so i don't think the raiders are in position to you know 
hold this Saints offense under 30 points. This isn't the week that we really need to worry about this, but it's something to pay attention to. I mean, they've never been an offense that have live and, live and die with the deep ball or anything, but if defenses truly are saying, okay, you know, Mr. 40-plus-year-old QB, you're re- like we're daring you to throw it deep now. No Michael Thomas, uh, you know, for a couple weeks to help make life easier underneath. I'm, I'm just not super convinced that the Saints, you know, are going to be this top-five juggernaut this year after one week. Again, maybe it's, you know, th- this will look silly in a few weeks, but keep an eye on the Saints offense. It was not a good debut. Uh, Dwayne, thoughts on if you kind of had similar takeaways for the Saints and then uh, hit me with your Raiders. Yeah, with the Saints, I mean, you know, what we're hearing here just recently, you know, is that it does sound like Michael Thomas may miss some extended time. So the ankle, the high ankle sprain is worse than what they thought, which is typical. When a player gets the high ankle sprain, they think they can play through it during the game. You got adrenaline, it's still loose. And then you come back the next day or the day after, it's usually two days after, and all of a sudden it's super stiff and you've got a problem. So it sounds like Thomas is going to be out a while. So Emmanuel Sanders, obviously, you know, is the guy that's going to see more work. Jared Cook's going to see more work. And of course, Alvin Kamara is going to Alvin Kamara. So I still like all those guys. I'm very interested, though, to see this defense play against the Raiders. The Raiders really got to play against, you know, a young defense with a brand new scheme, a ton of new players. And they, and they torched them, you know. So, I mean, they really took care of business, you know, um, versus the Panthers. Um, 77% of the plays were within three points. And that's the thing. The Raiders never could fully put them away, though. And to your point around the defense, like the defense for the Raiders, I mean, that's also a brand-new offense for the Panthers. Now, they've, you know, they've got some playmakers for sure that we both probably like a lot. But, man, they just couldn't ever pull away. So that worries me with the Raiders when you get into these matchups against better teams. Last week, they ran the ball 51% of the time and passed 49%. That's in a close game. John Gruden's showing you what he wants to do. He wants to pound the rock. He wants to set up play action. 37% of pass attempts were play action last week. So that's really good for your receivers. That's great if Henry Ruggs is healthy. Allows him to sneak in behind, you know, those linebackers and in front of the safeties, you know, those 15, 20-yard crossers. Man, I mean, and Ruggs is perfect for it. So let's just hope that Ruggs' injury, which he did come back and play, let's see what he looks like in practice this week. But Ruggs is a guy, man, that I am super excited about in this offense. So let's talk about Josh Jacobs. Obviously, if you took Josh Jacobs um, in the early second round, late first round, you're loving life this week. I will say I, I, Jacobs looked great, and I he, his talent has never been a question, right? It's just a, a question of, you know, how's Gruden going to use him? The only thing I'll say is I don't think we still fully know. Even though he got the targets that he got, the game stayed close the whole time. And if you look at it, on third and fourth down, seven plus yards or more, he was only on the field for 33% of those. That went to Devontae Booker and Jalen Richard. So again, we'll see when you get into a situation where maybe it's this week against the Saints, who are also going to give them a better test defensively, you know, as far as running the ball against them. Let's see what it looks like with Jacobs. Obviously, you're starting him. You're getting him in there. I'm not going to go pay overpay for him, you know, in DFS, though, in this matchup. Last week, I used him everywhere. It made sense, right? He was chalk, but he was affordable. You could get him in there and still do a lot of interesting things with your lineup and still win some money. So this week, I'm going to be a lot more careful. Um, obviously, again, season long, you're plugging away, Josh Jacobs. You love the guy. I'm just saying, keep an eye on it. What I want to see is that they get down 14 points. Sorry if you're a Raiders fan. I, I just want this information for fantasy. And I I want to see that he's still out there because they literally didn't have to run the two minute offense at all. So we have no clue what they're going to do in that situation. My gut says it's going to be Jalen Richard, um, just based on what they did on third and fourth downs. Now, Jacobs gets everything inside the five. And the one other positive I'll give him in is on the targets he did have. 
they weren't checkdowns. They were actually, he was the first read. So they were designed to get the ball to him. So that means that even if these other roles go away, he's going to catch more balls than he did last year. It's just a range of outcomes thing, right? Because the upside is if he's going to be on the field almost all the time, you know, he could be RB1, right? But if he's going to be more in the middle where he's going to get some plays designed for him, it won't be as bad as last year. You know, he's probably going to be, depending on the matchup every week, you know, he, he, he'll always have an RB1 upside because of touchdowns. You know, I mean, top overall. But I think you're more going to consistently see him in that 6 to 12 range, you know, and you're going to have some weeks where he's going to fall down into the, you know, outside of the top 12 running backs, depending on the matchup and if the Raiders fall behind early. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Saquon is the league's best RB with the ball in his hands. I know this doesn't sound great after watching Monday night, but Jacobs needs to be in that conversation. Last year, only Nick Chubb broke more tackles on the season. That was despite Jacobs missing three games. In week one, nobody had more broken tackles than Jacobs. But yeah, dude, I had this same, you know, just awful pit in my stomach today when I figured this out and was just like, oh, crap, this really isn't guaranteed because we only have to go back to 2019 to find a week one where Jacob scored multiple touchdowns and commanded more than 70% of the offensive snaps because they had a great game against the Broncos. They got up and Jacobs did his thing. What happened the next two weeks? Double-digit losses and Jacobs played 48% of the snaps in week two, 42% in week three. It certainly seems like, you know, Booker's just taking that DeAndre Washington role. They didn't, you know, re-sign Richard to just not ever give him the ball so unfortunately like yourself man i do think we're going to see this dip down closer to that you know 50 60 percent range and less ideal matchups but you know that type of talent again yeah he's not leaving your starting lineup not even if there's a fire so that's going to do it everyone we have made it through all 16 games like a little over an hour but we, we tried to keep it short for y'all i uh, hope you hope everyone enjoyed Dwayne. thank you again for coming on man what else you, what, are, what, what do you have excuse me uh coming out the rest of the week um, well, the utilization report will be coming out, obviously, for Pro Football Focus. There will be an article on it. Um, you know, you can also check me out at the Fantasy Football Hustle. Um, so I've got the podcast there. You can find that on YouTube. You can also find it, you know, anywhere that's streaming. You know, we'll have to get Ian over there on it one of these days and, you know, yeah. bust it up with Ian and let him, let him, you know, do some body slams on my co-host, Brian Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Anytime. Everyone follow uh, Dwayne on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. You might know him better as Context Matters. That's going to do it, everyone. Before we go, I just want to say, you know, take a look at the other PFF podcasts we have to offer the PFF NFL podcast, the PFF Forecast, Two for One Drafts, Unexpected Points with Kevin Cole, the PFF Called Football podcast with Seth Galina. And soon enough, we're even going to have the Chris Collinsworth podcast and the PFF daily betting podcast so be on the lookout for our entire pf pff podcast network if you like what you've heard today i'm ian hartz he's Dwayne mcfarland thank you all for tuning in this has been the pff fantasy football podcast have a great day everyone